We are starting the Gospel of John, and the theme of the Gospel of John is love and truth. Truth and love. And so, it's going to take us probably all year, maybe longer, to get through this Gospel. And so, let's just go ahead and say that the theme for 2018 is love and truth. And those are perfect partners in the Gospel. They are they are not opposites, but they work together. And I'm really excited to, to just really do a verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of John. And, you know, I've been studying this, this book. I've been putting things together. And as I've been studying, the one thing I noticed is that I'm going to have a really hard time getting through this book in any sort of um, fast way. It's going to take a while. Yesterday, I was talking to Melissa, and I was like, I'm planning on doing the first five verses tomorrow, but I was thinking about doing the first line of the first verse only. And she was like, no. <laughs> I was like, come on, we could talk all day just about the first line. Um, she reeled me in a little bit. We're going to do five verses, okay? So uh, let's read those first five verses of John. Today, I'm going to be reading out of the NLT. And then we'll pray. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father... Thank you for every person here today who decided to start off the year by coming to church and worshiping with God's people. Lord, we, we acknowledge that this is your holy written word, inspired by the Holy Spirit and written by man. God, you gave this to us so that we would know your love and your truth. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just fill this room and speak to every person's heart. Um, in a much more personal way than I ever could. Lord, I pray that we would give these verses the reverence and respect that they deserve and pay attention to them, listen to them. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit to teach um, a message that's not of myself, but that comes from the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Before we really dissect these verses, we have to ask two really important questions. Who is John and what is this book? Before we go anywhere, we need to know those two things. Who is John and what is this book? So the first question, who is John? John uh, was probably born about 14, 15 AD. Um, He was a fisherman. He was in business with his buddy Peter and his brother James, and they were fishermen. They weren't educated. They weren't um, anybody special. They were just regular folk, right? And so they fished. I kind of like him because I'm, I'm a businessman. I, I think he's like got his own little business. I like that, right? Like doing manual labor, making some money, providing for your family, working hard. That's the kind of thing I like. And so John's that type of guy. He's probably pretty young, though, probably about 17 or so when Jesus calls him to be a disciple. And John follows Jesus. He gives up his business. He gives up um, everything, and he follows follows Jesus. John and, and his brother James, they were the sons of Zebedee. 
And as we kind of read from the Gospels, they were known as the Sons of Thunder, which is kind of a cool name. Like, that's a really good name for a rock band, for a motorcycle gang. Uh, It's a good name for uh, a couple of guys who like to run their mouths, too. And I think that's why they were known as that, is, is they were passionate and driven, but sometimes that ends up meaning that you're going to put your foot in your mouth and say things that you shouldn't say or get a little overzealous. And John and his brother James were these, these types of guys. But over the three years of following Jesus, John grows up. He maybe started around when he was 15, 17. He grows up over those three years following Jesus. And we see that he has a special love for Christ. Like he, he talks about love more than any other author in the Bible. He just continually talks about love. But he's also, because he's a son of thunder, he's also simultaneously um, all about truth and a, a little bit blunt. And he seems to, in all of his writings, the, the epistles of John, the gospel of John, and the book of Revelation, he seems to be very straightforward and blunt, but always backs it up with a ton of love and just, just loves to talk about how much Christ loves us. So he's simultaneously blunt and loving. And I, that's what I love about the Gospel of John and his, his writings. And I think he learned that from Jesus because Jesus spoke the truth unapologetically, right? When it came to the truth, he was going to state it. And he, in a way, didn't care how you uh, received it because he knew what he was saying was true. But he always also backed it up with love and care and grace and mercy. So facts are facts. The truth is truth. But we also are to love people. And I would love that to be the theme for our church, that you know we are all about the truth. Like We look at God's holy written word and we take it seriously. And we stand for truth, but in a loving and compassionate way. Are you guys with me? If that, if that alone was what we could accomplish in 2018 was to develop a character of truth and love, to have that be our focus and our heart always, that alone would be an amazing thing. And I'm sure that we will, by God's grace, get to do much more than that. But if that could be our theme, in all that we do, truth and love. It's interesting to look at some of the numbers that are, that are in Scripture. We see that John was part of the 500 that saw Christ risen from the dead. So he's, he's in an exclusive group of, of a little over 500 or so that saw Jesus um, risen from the dead. John was also a part of the 120 that were praying after um, Jesus left and praying for the Holy Spirit. He was part of the 70 that were sent out in groups of twos to, um, to cast out demons and exercise the God-given power that they were given. He was part of the 12 disciples who Christ focused the most on. And he was also part of the inner three, Peter, James, and John, who got to see the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Jesus, in all of his glory, they seemed to be invited into certain things that the other, even the other disciples were, were not. And so he was a part of the inner circle of three. And then John, in his gospel, tells us that he was the one um, whom Jesus loved. And he seemed to maybe have the closest relationship with Jesus, and it maybe was because he was the youngest. Jesus seemed to just take him under his wing and really care for him as almost like a younger brother or something. Um, it's also interesting that John um, seems to find his identity in 
that fact that Jesus loved him. He doesn't use his own name um, as, as, as the author of this book. He just simply says, the one whom Jesus loved. And all the early church and the other disciples knew that that was referencing um, John. They, there was, there's no doubt that this was written by John, but he does not himself say, I am John writing this book. Like most people do when they're writing a book, they put their name right on the front, right? He doesn't do that. He really finds all of his identity in Christ's love for him. He's like, it doesn't matter what my name is. Jesus loves me, all right? I remember, you know, my family, we were missionaries in Kenya, and you would meet people in Kenya, and, and uh, they would walk up and they would say their name. So they would be, my name's Stephen. I'm a born-again Christian. Like, it, their, their salvation in Christ, his love for them, is, is just a, as much a part of their identity as their name, maybe even more so. I find that really amazing here in America. It's, hey, my name's Stephen. I'm a painter. It's our profession. Our identity is always our profession, right? And in other parts of the world, the Christians there, their identity is in their salvation in Christ. And I, I love that. And John seems to have that same idea that his identity, first and foremost, is in the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loves him. And I like that a lot. It's interesting with you look at these inner three. Why did why did Jesus have these three be the inner three? Why why were they? And if you look at their lives, um, them seeing the transfiguration of Jesus, there's some. I think it was for an important reason that Jesus brought them into a closer place. Peter becomes the leader of the church. James becomes the first martyr. The first one to take a stand and say, I am even willing to die for Christ. And John is the last living apostle who, after all the others were martyred, he gets to continue and, and really look over the church at that point. And so I think those are the reasons why Jesus brought these three as the inner three. So what is this book? We know who John is. Um, but what is this book? The Gospel of John is one of four Gospels in Scripture, but it is unique. The other three are called the Synoptic Gospels. And Synoptic basically means an overview. They're kind of taking an overview of Christ's life. And John's Gospel is, is much more um, specific, and it seems to have a very specific purpose and intent for his writing. And you see in you know, Matthew, it, it seems that his book is mostly written to Jews. He begins his genealogy with Abraham. Um, He really says a lot of things like, and it was done so to fulfill this prophecy. He's really showing how Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Jewish Messiah. That's Matthew's goal in writing. Um, Mark seems to be writing... He's truly focused on Christ's identity more than just his works. It's also the last gospel. And oftentimes people will say a lot of John's content is is different than the synoptics because he had the benefit of reading the three synoptic gospels, knowing what was already there, and then saying, okay, these are some of the main things that, that maybe weren't covered. And that's partially true. Uh, I certainly think that he did know about the others, read the others, and certainly put in some stuff because the others um, didn't have it. 
But I think that John, more than that, is really trying to get the reader to come to a verdict and make a decision about who Jesus is. His goal isn't just to fill in the blank spots in the ministry of of Christ, because at the end of the gospel, John says, hey, like, there is no limit to how much I could write about him. Many, many books could be written about him and the works that he did. So his goal isn't just to clean up the thing, because he would have included more then. His real goal is to get the reader to come to a decision. Do you believe who Jesus is or not? That's his goal in writing this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ indeed is divine? He is the Son of God, and that life is found in him. His writing demands a verdict from the reader. It doesn't leave a lot of room for, oh, I think this or that. He wants you to come. You either are going to accept or reject Jesus by the end of this gospel. You will either come to accept or reject this gospel. More than that, John doesn't just go back to Abraham. He doesn't just go back to Adam. He goes to the beginning and then even a little farther to really show who Jesus truly is. So let's go ahead and look at that first verse. John 1, 1. In the beginning, the word already existed. John is using this word logos. It was a, um, a philosophical term that they, the Greeks would have understood. And he's saying this word, this, this powerful being, which is Jesus Christ, the word Already existed in the beginning. So he wants to go all the way to the beginning. And then take one more step back to pre-existence. Everything that existed before the beginning. Is Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. I had been thinking about just that first line. And the reason I thought about just preaching that, just that as our sermon. Was I had woke, woke up Saturday and... It's like 7 a.m. and all I could think about as I woke up was the pre-existence of God before time existed, before creation existed. And that simple thought of all of eternity before made me feel so, in a good way, small. So small. Because Stephen James Montgomery has a very clear beginning, 1990. And because I believe in Jesus Christ, I will have eternal life with Jesus in heaven, right? So I have no end now because of the work of Jesus Christ. I will continue on forever, but I did not exist forever before, right? Jesus did. And to th- just to think on his pre-existence is amazing. Two things we have to know about the pre-existence of Jesus. He had no beginning. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Jesus goes as far that way, of course, but he also goes as far that way as you can possibly imagine. He has no beginning. He has no end. Second, his pre-existence should put us in our place. It should put us in our place. Because only God is truly eternal. We will live for eternity in Jesus Christ. 
But we are not eternal. Eternal means you go as far as you can in both directions. We are not eternal. We had a beginning. And Jesus Christ, we, we will live forever with him. But it should put us in our place. A really amazing thing is that it also means, and I'm going to add this third one here, because he pre-existed at the epoch of creation, he had a purpose and a plan for everything. I mean, he had eternity before to think about it, to know exactly what he wanted. So when we look at things in this world today, we can know truly because of his pre-existence that he's just not like figuring things out as he goes he's not surprised by anything he was eternal before and yet he created us and everything is for a purpose and a plan and it's all going to work out for his glory and for the good of those who love him amen we won't stay there i could i could keep going we could talk all day just about that first first but We'll move on. Our first line. The word was with God, and the word was God. Right here in this first verse, we see the preexistence as we discussed. We also see the unity with God and the community with God that Christ has. This is really profound. The word was with God, and the word was God. We talk about the Trinity. We covered it pretty well when we we did the ghost series. We talked about how God is a triune being, three persons in one. So Jesus is both God. He's united with God. He is God, but he is also with God in perfect community. It's the unity and the community of God. And what that makes me you know, really think about is that in eternity before the preexistence of God, they were in perfect community. They had no need. I think that we as Christians get so arrogant sometimes to think that God needs us. He doesn't need us. He was in perfect community and unity before. Eternity before. The epoch of creation, it wasn't a sudden need that he had. It's us who desperately need him. He does not need us. He is complete without us. Within the Trinity, there's perfect love and community. Amazing. That even though he doesn't need us, he invites us into relationship with him in perfect love and community. That is amazing. John 1, 2. He existed in the beginning with God. He, he reiterates this. But I think it's a little different because it's stating the point that Jesus was there. In the beginning when all was created, Jesus was there. He saw it all. He knew all the plans. He knew the purpose for it all. He was there. Jesus knows the what, where, how, and more importantly, the why of it all. And I think that's really amazing. And I think it should help us in our worship of him. John 1, 3. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except 
through him. Jesus created all. Colossians 1.16 says the same. For God, so for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of the world, and everything was created for him, for his glory. This is the word. This is the Jesus that we're going to be reading about. Through the entire Gospel of John, we have to understand that all was created for him, and by him, and through him. John 1.4 The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light. To everyone. The life is in him. And there is no life apart from him. But more than that. He is the light to that life. Melissa and I over the break here. uh, We went to this cave out in New Braunfels. And they have stairs. And you get to go a couple hundred feet down. and, And Melissa's nine months pregnant. And we didn't really think about that. Until we were three quarters of the way down. And our tour guide, Gabby, was like this 19-year-old girl. And I'm like, Gabby better be ready to deliver this baby at the bottom of a cave. <laughs> like, we're getting down. We're like, like ducking under. Like, you know, like I'm carrying Lincoln. And we're like, and she's like, careful, these steps are wet. And we're, and I'll, about three quarters of the way down, I'm like, Melissa, you shouldn't be down here. <laughs> like, what are we doing? So we get to the very bottom, deep down in this this cave. And they're telling us the history and the geology and all that stuff. And as we get to the bottom, they take us into this deep, dark room and turn off the lights. And then they proceed to tell you, Gabby does, uh, that in pure darkness, over couple weeks your eyes start to develop cataracts because your body doesn't think it needs the organs anymore and if you are down there longer you start to also have mental problems and people who are kept in pure darkness for a long time can can develop um, mental issues and become quite crazy and then you know they turn on the lights and everything i was thinking about that because jesus is the light he is the light of life And without him, we are in utter darkness. John 1.5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. For the darkness can never extinguish it, as the NLT says. You know what's interesting? The light does not automatically shine in darkness. Light has to be brought to darkness, doesn't it? Light has to be brought. There's traveling involved for light. But once light comes, darkness has no power. The Bible is abundantly clear that God is light. And there is only darkness without him. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, 
because of sin in the world, we are born into sin. We're born depraved. We are born in darkness. And Jesus Christ, the light and the life, He comes and He brings that light to the darkness. And darkness can never extinguish the light. Darkness always has to flee when light comes. If you feel that darkness has power in your life, it is only due to the absence of light. It is the only way that darkness has power. It is the absence of light. Light comes from the presence of God. Psalms 44.3 It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their army bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, in the light of your face, for you love them. John 1 1 John 1, five, John's epistle, says this. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. There is no darkness in him at all. Church, we need the light of God. How do we get the light of God? How do we get rid of darkness in our life, in darkness in our church, in darkness in our city? Presence of God. Now, some of you are like, I thought God was already everywhere. I thought he was omnipresent. I thought, you know, he he knew all and was everywhere. You know, I thought these were the attributes of God, of course. Of course. There's something different between the omnipresence of God and the active presence of God. The active presence of God is when he's bringing the light. He's chasing out darkness. If you feel that darkness has power in your life, it is due to the lack of light. That is the only reason, because that, without light, there is only darkness. It is what is natural, right? Without the light, there is darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. Sin is the absence of God. There is darkness in your life. You need to be in the presence of God. This is why you see so many of the writers of scripture and the characters in scripture calling out for the presence of God not saying well God's everywhere they were less focused on that attribute of God than they were on his presence being real and tangible and that's what we need and Jesus comes he was already everywhere he pre-existed he's omnipresent he's God almighty He created and holds all things together in his hand, the Bible says, right? Yet he comes in the flesh. This God, this almighty being comes in the flesh, born of a virgin to live a perfect life, to be among us and ultimately to be sacrificed for us. The sins of the world so that whoever would believe in him would be forgiven and receive eternal life. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit as the church. I don't know about you guys, but there, I know that the Spirit is with me, but I also know when the Spirit is working, and it's different, right? I know that God is everywhere, but I also feel different when I'm in his presence. Are you with me? 
there's a different feeling between just knowing that God exists and feeling Him close to you, working in your life. That's the light of God shining in to your life. We desperately, desperately need that. As we, as we read this gospel, you know, the gospel of John is simple. It's so simple that you could read it to a child and they would understand. Yet it's also so deep that the greatest thinkers and philosophers can't fathom it. This is the same God. The pre-existent, holy, triune God sends the Son to die in our place. We as insignificant beings who God does not need receive such great love. Think about that. We are cosmically insignificant in this When you look at the scope of the universe, when you look at the scope of eternity before, eternity to come, we're cosmically insignificant, yet God loves each and every one of us so, so, so much. We were praying before, and Alan, was as he was was praying, he just kept talking about how God cares about the little things in our life. The little things. Do, Do you guys realize that that is crazy? Because he doesn't need us, yet he loves us so, 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 so much. We could just get our minds and our hearts in the right place. Focus in who God is. Seek his presence. Those struggles in your life will vanish. The things we want to see happen in Austin will begin to happen when we seek that presence, when we invite that light. We get to then become lights to this city and see God do amazing things. And of course, you know, we have a vision statement for 2018. Things we would love to see. And, you know, we'll talk about that at the upcoming partnership meeting. We would love to see God do some really amazing things, but that's exactly it. He has to do it. I am more convinced of that now than I ever have been in my entire life, and certainly since we planted this church, that I can't do anything. I just can't do anything. (laughs) Like, not that has any value or worth. In my flesh, Stephen Montgomery can't really do anything that's going to produce fruit, that's going to be cosmically significant. (laughs) But God can through us, and he invites us into that mission. He is the light, but then he lets us be light bearers. He lets us shine forth. That you get to start carrying the presence of God around with you. Like when you're in the presence of God, you start carrying the presence of God with you. Light starts shining off of you. Like that's That's insane. If you walk into a room of unbelievers and you're in the presence of God, you're in relationship with him, you're th- you've been thinking on the holy things, right? You've been in the word, you've been praying, you're feeling him, he's moving in your life. When you walk into that room, you bring light just by your presence. 
Of course, also by our words and our actions. But we need to be empowered. We can't just simply go, oh, the attributes of God are great, but we need to to seek them to move in our own personal life. Today we're going to partake of communion. We partake of communion because the night before Christ laid his life down for us. He gave us this sacrament as a way to remember him. And Jesus did this because he knew that we needed to put ourselves in the right place. Right? To humble ourselves a bit. To think on the God who died for us, whose body was broken for us, whose blood was shed for us, as it says. Aaron, do you have that slide? As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. The preexistent divine Son of God laid his life down for you and I, insignificant beings. How much he loved us. And he invites us into eternity with him by the power of Christ. So during worship, we will um, sing some songs. I would ask you to pray to God. If it's, there's darkness in your life, you on your own can't do anything about it. You need the light of Christ to come. To pray for it. Repent of it. Be willing to change. If you, you know, are unsure, like, you know, sometimes maybe you've, Accepted Christ, but maybe you have doubts. Maybe things are you've got things you're wrestling with, even theologically or philosophically. Your mind is confused about the things of God. You can have a moment where you really think on the pre-existent divine Son of God coming and laying His life down for you. Receive that. That is the truth above all other truth. It is the most important. You can take the bread and the cup and return to your seat and on your own partake and, and pray. I'll pray for us as the worship team comes up. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your, your preexistent divine son to die in my place, to die in each one of these people's place, Lord. You took our sin. You took the penalty for that sin. And you offered us newness of life and even eternal life with you. Lord, I pray that the darkness, the darkness that may exist still, Lord, that your light would shine upon it. Lord, that we would believe the truth. The darkness can never extinguish light. Light, when it shows up, chases darkness out. Lord, we pray for that every every person here, whatever sin is left, whatever 
doors have been shut, so there's still a dark room in our hearts, that those would be opened and light would shine forth. In the name we pray. If you would like prayer during communion, you can ask Ernesto and I.